to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. The football frenzy continues and so do the pod episodes. We cannot wait to take you through this last week of action. As always, there was a lot. There was a lot of a lot. So we're here to take you through it all. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we are recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So for today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, Angela Christian-Wilk, Sam Lewis and Anna Harrington to take you through the last week of A-League women's goodness. We like to start things off around here with things we love to see on the pitch. So Sam, do you want to kick us off with a you love to see it? So we often celebrate fabulous goals in this segment, but just as important and sometimes just as flashy as fantastic goals are fantastic assists. And this week I loved to see Sierra Hinson's assist for Lena Karmas' goal for Perth Glory in their 2-0 win over Melbourne Victory. It was just techers personified. She got in front of Casey Dumont, the goalkeeper, and she flicked this back heel outside of the boot pass backwards to Karmas to head the ball into the net for the second goal. It was just so instinctive. It was so clever and it just looked fabulous from all different angles of the camera as well. So Sierra Henson turning on the techers. Oh, you love to see it. Big soccer AM energy from you. Just absolute tacker. I'm going to delete that. That was very dumb. Please anyway. do not. Do not delete. <laughs> no. No, I need to stop doing accents on this podcast. It, it never works out well Actually, for me. Actually, I'm going to run with continue. <laughs> Angela, please give us a how, uh, not a how good. Please give us a you love to see it. After last week, I'm going to speak very slowly, very clearly, very carefully. She's laughing again. She's laughing again. You're, if you're listening, you'll just need to go back and experience um, that for yourself. I'm not going to repeat what was said and what was done. Anna, sorry. Was that podcasting? I, yeah. That. <laughs> anyway, so, yes, no references to such runs are being made this week. This week, I love to see Alexia Apostolakis score her debut goal for Western Sydney Wanderers and her debut goal just in general in the league. Um, it's been a big, big season for her. She's only 15. She's had to really step up into this Western Sydney Wanderers side as a centre-back and um, played quite a lot of minutes. And, yeah, it, I think it's just like a little reward for her efforts there. Uh, yeah, it was like came in off a free, it sort of bobbled around a little bit and she did this volley and that put Western Sydney up, I think, 2-1 in the two-all eventual draw against Newcastle. But, yeah, youngsters scoring debut goals. I always love to see that. And also I would love to see Google actually input her. She's still not showing on Google. So when I looked at the scoreline, I was like, wow, a ghost. <laughs> she scored good at least someone's going for wanderers right anyway but that was a bit harsh that was a bit harsh but yeah uh, google it put alexia in the system please she's been there long enough she's been doing plenty i don't know what the hold up is but yeah you'll love to see it ghost goal you love to see it but her reaction was just so pure and you're right she has been an absolute bright spot for the Wanderers in what hasn't been a fantastic season for them. Anyway, Anna, are you love to see it? I'm going with an assist as well. Um, and, a, and real contender for assist of the season came from Tala J. Vlanich or TJ Vlanich as she's otherwise known. Um, Melbourne City's 2-1 win over Sydney FC. It was for the second goal. Vlanich was playing left wing back and she's received the ball sort of centrally where she's cut in and then she goes on to her right and just out of nowhere, threads this incredible ball through the Sydney lines, like unstoppable, genuinely world-class stuff, onto Caitlin Torpy, who does brilliantly, just, you know, finishes with a plum. It was the finish that the that the assist deserved. But, yeah, just out of nowhere. We, you know, TJ Vlanich has been around for a while, but I think this has been her best season at, at City. She's very much a senior player now, very physical and aggressive presence and just runs all day. But to just pull that off, and I assume on her wrong foot, given she's always played on the left, was just audacious, to be honest. And at the end of the day, it it did prove the match-winning goal. 
Um, another little slight uh, with Google while right at Angela. For quite a while there, they had uh, Caitlin Torpy's goal credited to Holly McNamara. They're both blonde, yes, but they are not the same. Anyway, it's been fixed now. But uh, TJ Vlanich just pulling this incredible assist out of the top drawer. You love to see it. My, you love to see it just really quickly. We've been raving about Chelsea Dauber and Fiona Wirtz all season. They both racked up their 10th goals of the season in their 4-1 win over Wellington. And the thing that is most impressive about that is that no Adelaide United women's player had ever scored double figures in a season before. And then they got two within the space of about five minutes. So the Reds' momentum, it's coming, it's building, it's it's very, very good. And we absolutely love watching Wurtz and Dorba kill it in front of goals. So I personally loved to see it. Only pairing apart from Kate Gill and Sam Kerr, fair old pairing back in 2014, the infamous Perth Glory. Sorry, the famous Perth Glory team that surged all the way and then Sam Kerr got injured and then they didn't win the grand final. Hello, Canberra. But, like, that's a fair fair company to have your name in. Wurtz has already equaled Gills and Hannah Wilkinson's record for most goals in the game. And then to for her and Dorba to equal that um, Kerr-Gill combination really says something about the potency of those two players. It is you love to see it. I do wonder if they're both off pens now, though, because, like, they're equal. Dylan and... Holmes taking them. <laughs> Yeah, no, because you know there was that pen a couple of games ago and then I can't remember. I think it was Dorba ended up taking it and Fiona Wurtz could have gotten a hattie if she'd taken it. Anyway, I just wonder if they'd just be like, the diplomatic choice is neither of you get dibs on the penalties because we don't want to advantage either of you in the Golden Boot race. You've got to earn it. Well, I guess <laughs> penalties, you still have to convert them, to be fair, which uh, some people haven't been doing this season, but ooh, I guess mm. that. Sorry, sorry, Sam. What? Don't look at me like that. You know, surely, if you if Dorb is their go-to pen taker, she just keeps taking them, right? Like it certainly hasn't slowed Wurtz down from scoring in open play. That's true. That's true. I mean, I'm very conflict averse, but Adrian Center probably <laughs> has his own plan, has his own way of dealing with these things. So I'll just leave it to him. It's an Adrian Forget problem. I ever suggested it. It's an Adrian problem. We don't have to worry about that. Anyway, let's get into some actual match chat so we had lots of results lots of games because we are still in the February football frenzy and allegedly there's never enough football I feel like maybe we're hitting the limit maybe I don't know maybe if the the high pitch doesn't indicate where I'm going with that then anyway but we had obviously Canberra winning 5-0 over Western Sydney literally the same day we released our episode doing a deep dive on Canberra, which is very, very typical. We had the Jets and Wanderers drawing on the weekend too, too, as Angela mentioned, but we wanted to focus on the top five race because it has really heated up with the results from this past week. So let's start with Sydney. Anna has made mention many times that they haven't left the state all season and all of a sudden... Tough on they- them, to be honest. <laughs> Not getting out of New South Wales. Why else would you play in a national competition? (laughs) I shouldn't have enabled that. Anyway, they haven't left the state all season. They suddenly do a road trip to Melbourne. They concede all these goals and they only come away with one point from two games. So, Harrow, talk to us a little bit about Sydney and what is going on. You say one point in six games. Uh, sorry, sorry. <clears throat> one point from a possible six in the two games where they've had to had to get on a plane. And it's, it's odd to me that it seems like they came down to Melbourne midweek, midweek, went home and came back again. I say it seems odd, but semi-professional <laughs> situation. Anyway, yeah, it, it's, it was fascinating. I think we all knew this was going to be the actual litmus test for Sydney, who would, I think you would probably agree that they've had a, easy run of it in that sense, playing Wellington a couple of times, not having to leave New South Wales. They even played Canberra there. And yeah, it, it's to be honest, it's probably what they need before finals. It's, it gives you a little bit of a reality check. Um, they were all over victory, let's be honest, in the midweek game. And then victory really very much gusted out to to pull back and, and earn a draw. Both, both of those teams, to be fair, looked pretty knackered come the weekend. And Sydney, watching... Watching that game against Melbourne City, that first half, Ante Juric said as much. 
weren't at the races, but they just had no answers. It felt like for Melbourne City in that first half, they they hadn't had to play against Holly McNamara um, in the previous game because she was away on Matilda's duties and she was cutting them up. Um, Rihanna Policino is just we talked about her last week is just going to new heights. Like she scored in her past four games, six goals for the season. They just didn't have many answers and. City really did take a deserved lead, like Caitlin Torpy um, with an assist for the first goal, scored the second. And then after half time, Sydney flicked the switch. Ante said post match it was very much their pressing wasn't up to standard, maybe a bit of thinking it was just going to happen. And I feel like this is the first time I've really seen Sydney have a team right on their hammer all the time. Like City's press and the way that they were going after every ball. And I know they didn't have they didn't have Wilkinson or, or Stott who have been such big presences for them, but just the way they were going about it, their energy, the tempo, and the way they can hit you on the counter, I think really sort of shell-shocked Sydney a bit, which is fair enough because, you know, if you haven't, you can, if you've only played them once and both teams have a different dynamic that time, fair enough. Um, Sydney also, as I said, looked tired from playing midweek. It's a, it's a tough thing to turn around. But in the second half, they were sensational. Like, they probably should have taken a, a point from the game. Like, they had chance after chance. They butchered a couple. Like, Charlize Rule and Remy Seamson both hit chances over the bar from where it would have been easier to score than I mean, so, so, yeah, like, just easier to score than miss. Like, and Melissa Barbieri pulled out a couple of top draw saves. City looked like they fatigued, and Rado Finisic hinted at that after the game. Um but of course, the, the biggest thing to come out of it, well, there's two big things. One, City are actually now in a great position to win the Premier's plate because they're only a couple points behind Sydney, but have a game in hand. So the the actual Premier's plate has gone from Sydney have got one hand firmly around it to, oh my God, <laughs> there's a real bit of competition here for this. And the Holly McNamara injury. Like, unfortunately, it was an absolute belter of a game, like one of the games of the season. Genuine game of two halves, so much intrigue, so many different tactical battles, so many gun players doing doing incredible things. Um, but the Holly McNamara ACL injury just overshadowed it all, and I thought City looked quite shell-shocked after it. She went down the 73rd minute. She knew straight away what she'd done. She was in tears. Stretches come out, but she ended up getting helped off by medical staff and Rihanna Policina. But, yeah, that's that's she confirmed today. That's That's torn left ACL we know she came back from one as a 15 year old and then from stress fractures and has just been an absolute sensation made her Matilda's debut and I mean Ante Juric said as much post-match it's beyond the obvious devastation for her suffering a second ACL injury it is a massive blow to City and therefore a, a bit of a unfortunate lift for the other teams around the mix because she has been the difference for City this year. Hannah Wilkinson's had the most goals, but when she's not played McNamara, they lack that penetration. They lack um, those really direct forward runs, her ability to bring other players into the game. And it is devastating. You never, you know, I feel like we've been relatively lucky this season in terms of ACLs. Like, you know, we have some season where you have shockers and um, I was talking to a couple of people and it did remind me and you hope you, I don't think it's going to go the same way of when Ash Brown back in that 2013-14 season did her second ACL it was on her return and that the whole ground victory was beating Newcastle 6-0 and the whole ground just went silent because everyone sort of knew and she knew and she and that was the thing it just it sort of felt like it sort of sucked the air out of the game a little bit and City did well to, to hang on in the end. And I mentioned Sydney butchering some chances, but it, it really did just cast a, a shadow over it. And I'm sure she'll get the support from City, who've been fantastic with her development. She should get the support from the Matilda and hopefully some really senior players who've been there, done that, can get around her as well. But, yeah, it's not only a devastating thing, it, it, it really does, not to say it opens up the title race and the championship race, because that was already open, but it, it throws a massive spanner in the works. I mean... Rado Vidasic said you'd rather lose the game than lose the player, right? <laughs> so it's it is, it's it's devastating. That said, this this game, it, it just gave you an indication of how good could this final series be if you have Sydney and City one and two, they play off in that first week, um, obviously for the spot in the grand final, and now you've got the second chance. So you might even see them play potentially two times in the finals this year. And this it 
Adelaide and Victory are very good, but for me, these are the two teams that intrigue me the most and I think are, are the two to beat just by watching this. Sam? Well, you have to wonder what role the draw is now going to play in this because there's two points currently separating City from Sydney. They do have that extra game in hand, but in the run into finals, Sydney arguably play stronger teams. They've got Perth Glory and then Adelaide to cap off the season. Perth in Tasmania as well, Sam. It's, in it's Tasmania. Not, they don't they don't get to play them in New South Wales, which That's right. I think yeah. they would have originally been Whereas Melbourne City have got like Brisbane Raw and Western Sydney. So teams that you would probably expect them to beat even though they don't have a Holly McNamara. You'd like to think that their bench depth is enough to be able to get them through that. Uh, The next game that they play, I think, will be really decisive because I don't think they're going to have Hannah Wilkinson back in time for that game. They're now out. They don't have Holly McNamara anymore. They've got Caitlin Torpy, who's been really like coming into her own in that more attacking role, which has been fabulous to see. But who do you put there? You rely on Rihanna Policina to try and make it all work and score some goals. I mean, who do you bring in to replace those two extremely powerful attacking players who are now not going to be there for a game that you sort of need to win if you really want to? Uh, certainty about leapfrogging Sydney for the Premier's plate. So it's going to be a really interesting next couple of rounds, I reckon, just as a result of that. But in terms of Sydney, outside of that first half against City, I don't think they've played badly. As you mentioned, Harry, like they've just missed their chances sometimes. Like those two chances to Remy Seamson and to Charlie Rule against City. Any other game, any other day, they go in, you know. Like it was... it. It reminded me we live the Matildas against South Korea, the Asian Cup, like any other day, Sammy scores those three goals and we fly through to the next, you know, and it was just one of those things. And against Melbourne Victory, as you said, all over them and had a number of chances in that game as well, but they just couldn't capitalise. And then one very flappy, floppy defensive error saw Victory get back into the game with their first goal. And then there was a collapse towards the back end of for the second. So it's yeah. I mean, I do think it's a good wake up and an important wake up call for Sydney because I do think that they can rest on their laurels a little bit too easily. And at this stage of the season, heading into finals where you really need to be hitting your straps, this is going to be a good reminder that they still have work to do. Rado kind of hinted at it pre-game, Sam, in the pre-match press conference that Sydney he reckons Sydney probably would have actually liked to get some real big tests earlier in the season because you actually get those. You know, you get those not necessarily wake-up calls, but areas that you may need to tweak a little bit or things that you may need to change. Like we saw City, obviously, and this is, geez, I hope we don't see this bloody conference thing again because no good. Like we saw um, City and Victory and that having an Adelaide all playing each other early and lots of tests and lots of travel. And now Sydney have sort of been able to, for want of a better word, cruise. (laughs) Like, let's be honest, like bar the results, the lack of goals conceded do paint the picture. So for them, it yeah, you'd think it is a, a bit of a wake-up call. They're, we, As you say, Sam, they've got the quality. Like Juric said as much, like um, players like um, Mackenzie Hawksby didn't have their usual zip. And I think it's why we don't like seeing those midweek games and the tight turnarounds because players do, do lack a bit of that. But, you know, there was nothing there that made you concerned about Sydney FC. They, sometimes you just play a very good team with very good attacking players. Like who can stop a ball like that one that TJ Vlanich put through or the, the Caitlin Torpy run and um, Ali Green got hooked at half time and Yurich said she was one that I think was was a bit cooked from the midweek turnaround because Torpy just ran past her again and again and, and it was her poor turnover for the first goal, obviously. But yeah, if there's, there's nothing there that you go, wow, there's a big hole in Sydney. No one exposed it till now. No, they just came up against a really direct, really strong team with a good goalkeeper, good leadership. And I do want to mention briefly, she was very clumsy for the penalty, um, for Sydney's penalty at the end, didn't need to foul Remy Seamson, came in unnecessarily. But before that, Winona Heatley had insane game. Like she had that incredible front three all but in her pocket. Everything that was coming towards her, she was cutting out, she was stopping, she was... She bullied Remy Seamson off the ball at one point, and Remy Seamson doesn't get bullied off the ball, especially in this league. Like she's a strong forward, and it, it was a really 
promising thing to see because we talk about defenders and the Matildas and I know Rado has been very keen to say Heatley should be in the frame um and she was she was fantastic um so that that was a really exciting thing from I guess the Matilda's point of view of seeing a bit more bit more development from a player like that but it just it to be honest apart from obviously the downer of the, the McNamara injury it made me so excited for what we're going to see in finals because both of these teams will have learned something from each other um I know you sort of admitted that tactically they maybe fell short a bit in that first half and we saw the tweaks come to great effect so I think it's going to be fair if these are the top two teams come end of this regular season we're in for a hell of a final series and that that makes you so excited like it's up for grabs you mentioned it a couple of times the the fatigue of the midweek game there is one team that knows the fatigue of the midweek game a little better than most in this past month. We're obviously talking about Melbourne Victory. So, Angela, Melbourne Victory. We watched them in the Dubberbs draw with Sydney 2-2. We watched, well, we didn't, but you watched them as well lose to Perth Glory 2-0. And it was very obvious that they were tired. But talk to us a little bit about Victory this week and also what's to come because the energy sapping schedule does not end. They literally have more games coming up. So talk to us a little bit about the buck. Yeah. Um, Dubberbs, very good. Potato cakes, double thumbs up. Um, also, just while we're talking about food, Amy Park, I'm never purchasing food from you again. I paid $9.50 for a salad sandwich. I right, that, that gets the boot. I know, I can read. I should get the boot as well. Who's that? Anyway, potato cakes though at... George Cross, loved him. Um, yeah, victory. It was an interesting, I think it was the draw was, I was very pleasantly surprised because they didn't, I didn't think that they were going to be able to come back. There were so many goal line clearances that game. It was just, I, I Sydney should have put like four five away possibly. There were so many um, close moments, but it definitely, I think, with that, Jeff mentioned that it was taxing emotionally and they probably brought that into the Perth game and that's something that I hadn't really considered until now is, of course, there's the fatigue physically um, that is worth discussing and especially in terms of, I guess, player welfare and injuries, but also at the same time, like the quick turnaround between games in terms of being able to just settle down identify like reflect work on what needs to be worked on they're not having the opportunity necessarily to make those tweaks or to look at those finer details as individuals and as a team with such a quick turnaround as well um and yeah that that game against Perth it was a very zippy first half not many opportunities in front of goal though um and I do wonder so Maya Markovsky looked quite depleted and she's had quite a steep run in terms of her minutes so it was basically she wasn't she was like playing maybe 10 minutes at the later end of games earlier in the season and now she's playing I think 70-ish playing the first half making starts and yeah she looked quite sluggish um and then but obviously there was a lot there's other people who can score goals they just yeah they weren't they were getting up the field playing really creatively making nice little passes really enjoyed the like Nevin um, Zimmerman combination on the left, but then just like nothing in front of goal. And then just, I think Alana Murphy coming off early as well with a rolled ankle, I believe that made such a difference because I think it was anticipated she would play a bit longer. So they brought MJ on early and she'd already played quite a lot of minutes the first game and they were just gassed. It was just, and credit to Perth, they were able to capitalize on that and they played some really, excellent attacking football in that second half but yeah it was definitely they were tired and it's yeah a bit frustrating I guess as a victory fan because you wonder how it would have gone if there wasn't this back-to-back game situation that's happening but yeah Harry yeah I'll give credit to Perth before I follow on for what you're saying there Angela because they have been on the road pretty much all season it's a real credit to Alexa Parkinson the team at Perth for the way they've they've gone about things. They haven't complained too much. That's been head down, try and get the job done. Um, and you would have thought after that loss to City, where they weren't bad but caught four goals, it was going to look difficult. So it was a really gutsy win. It was well-timed substitutions, I thought, with the game in the balance, victory tiring, bringing on Lisa Devanna to shake things up. It was the most minutes she'd played 
I think all season um, since maybe the first game because we know she had the the niggling injuries <clears throat> and she just shook things up and then a few minutes later like she got a shot away within a minute of coming on and then bringing on Karmas, bringing on 18 Kane it just the, all those players were involved in in what happened obviously it was a bit chaotic for the first goal and ended up being a, a Zimmerman um, own goal but the, the second one that Sam mentioned there, you love to see it was fantastic. And it was really well-timed subs, experienced players. It was the type of game that needed, you know, players just come on and cause a bit of chaos, get a bit of physicality in there and a really well-worked, really disciplined, really smart victory from, from Perth. And they deserve a lot of credit because they've put themselves right back in the mix. It's, it's going to be very hard for them. They got to play Sydney FC next, which is no easy feat. So it's, it, they got their work cut out, but they are only a point behind victory. But yeah, the, the victory thing, it's like they haven't complained about it, really. Like they've touched on it. They haven't kicked off, which has somewhat surprised me because by the time they play Adelaide this week, I did the math. I think it's going to be quick maths yesterday when I wrote about this. Seven games in 23 days. That is insane. And you can't say that's going to get the best out of these players because it's literally play, recover, play, play, recover, play recover play recover play and players clearly aren't all recovering you see amy jackson who's 34 go out with a torn calf that surely is going to sideline her to to finals um the murphy one is a rolled ankle so i don't really want to attribute that to anything but players have got fatigue who knows when melina Reyes is coming back is she coming back we don't know but um these players look tired like alex chidiak after the match against perth basically said how tired they were and it raises a point that Rado Vidicic made after the um, City-Sydney match. He said that he hoped the FA would, because I think the FA have responsibility for the schedules, would actually extend the season by a week because of this crunch of games. And essentially you look at the, the easy examples here are Victory and City who've got three games to play in the next two weeks. But Victory is the obvious one because the games are just piling up and there's no way we're seeing the best of these players. This competition is clearly not going to be at its best if players are fatigued, if they're backing up. And then it's you add to it the obvious, because I know this is happening in the men's league as well, but we've seen this translated in AFLW. These players, a lot of them, semi-professional, even if they're in a very professional environment, you may be having to change shifts, you may be having to work things out with your study, but you're certainly not seeing the best of what they can do on the pitch if they're if they're just bouncing game after game after game after game. And victory, they're not done yet. Like as we record, they're about to play Canberra, and then they're going to back up and play Adelaide again on the Saturday, like four days later. Like I just don't understand how this has been able to happen. And it, it what Rado said does seem logical. Like why not extend it out and. I don't know if you do it to try and space those last few games out so play, teams aren't playing a couple of times a week or if you just give teams a week off before the finals. But if we want to see a really, really good final series and we know it's going to be a three-week final series this year, it, it makes sense. Like it, two of those teams are going to end up playing three games in finals off the top of my head, bit of quick maths. So it's like, why not try and get some of these teams rested and give them an opportunity? It's... Yeah, it's, it's disappointing to me that we've had to see this happen. And it's happened to a few different teams throughout the season. But this victory one is the most extreme example I, I think I can think of. That, yeah, it, it's no bueno. And also, like, we just had two games this round postponed due to weather, like extreme weather events, one of which hasn't didn't end up going ahead. So that was Canberra-Brisbane. Um, and the other one did end up – I was so confused by that. I was – yeah, I was saying I was glad I wasn't being gaslit by an e-cow, but I was like hopping on me like, where's the game? I just, no, that was the Brisbane Canberra. Anyway, I don't pay attention, obviously. But, yeah, stuff happens. And imagine if they have to reschedule one of these games and then they're looking at a fi- like a final week with three games or something stupid like that. I just, it doesn't make any sense. I really hope that they would add that additional week just to space it out and on the injury prevention front if anything there's an extra factor as well that I forgot to mention that Vidasic says they had quite a few players and this is City and Victor have had this as well they had quite a few players who had COVID and he said that quite a few of them have struggled physically so you have to see how they bounce back 
basically said COVID's been horrendous. Our players are getting injured. It's not healthy for them. The wellness of the players should be the number one priority. And I think Alex Chidiak a few weeks back talked about how gassed she felt like that she couldn't run after 20 minutes in her first game back from COVID. And she obviously played a full game that day and she's managed to play out. But we're still seeing, and um, we're seeing in the men's competition as well, players come back at different rates and at different fitness levels. Um, Letitia McKenna was one that um, Rado started the other days, came into City injured, then got COVID and then got injured again. And then now is only just able to, to build some form. And it's, it just adds to it. If you've got players that have had COVID and they're needing longer to recover and they're maybe not able to play full games and we've got a lack of international breaks. So these squad sizes are already being tested. If you're Sydney or um, City and you're losing two players to internationals or even victory have lost one, like a few player, a few teams around the league have lost players, especially New Zealand internationals, depleted squads, injuries, COVID or players recovering from COVID, and you're going to play three games this week. <laughs> like, it's just not sustainable. And yeah, I, I feel for the players having to do it. And a lot of them will just, you know, head down and carry on. But then when you see injuries start popping up, and I don't want to reference necessarily the McNamara one because ACLs are, are different, but like soft tissue injuries like the Amy Jackson one, you go, does that happen if she's playing once a week? Surely less likely. Like, and with the last thing you want to see is teams start racking up injuries and injuries because of these workloads just before finals. And then you have more good players not playing finals, not able to, to showcase what they can do at the pointy end of the season. It's, it's disappointing because we've got a, a one, as you mentioned off the top of the pod, um, Marissa, this real like five team hardcore race for the finals. And it's a really thrilling conclusion. And you just don't want to see it, I guess, peter out because players are getting injured or not able to play or not able to to back up and you you look at the rotation of a victory for example where you've got um, a Paige Lawson and Emma Robers who've been bench players at most for a lot of the season starting against Canberra because I don't want to say they haven't earned their spots but there's clearly heavy rotations happening there you you go oh well are we seeing the best of what what this league can offer I mean, maybe the silver lining to that, though, if it does happen, and given also their larger contextual constraints in terms of broadcasting and in terms of contract lengths as well, because, yeah, it's great to say extend the season by a little bit, but that also means having to add more payments to contracts and and doing all that sort of admin stuff behind the scenes. I also don't know what the broadcast window is or what the agreement is with Channel 10 or Paramount in terms of when their finals have been slated to, to happen and all that sort of stuff. But maybe the, the good thing that can come from this whole season and the sort of exhausted way in which it seems to be finishing is that more people are going to realise that these problems are largely structural and they're structural problems that need to be addressed immediately. Like we've been talking in our, in our group chats on this podcast, in our own articles about this sort of stuff, but this season really seems to be a bit of a pulling back the curtain season. Like this is what these players have been having to deal with in their own kinds of ways and different variations over the course of the last 14 seasons. But so many of these pressures and stresses and structural frailties and deficiencies are now coalescing in this one season and particularly the back end of this one season leading into this final series where we've got, as you mentioned, Harrow, Ill- injuries, illnesses, we've got back-to-back games, we've got, you know, travel is situated, we've got all this stuff that people are now finally seeing clearly and uh, seeing it from the perspective of the players. Because how can anybody perform at their best when they're having to deal with this sort of shit, you know? And so I feel like we're reaching a bit of a, uh, we're reaching sort of a tipping point at, at this point, I reckon, where finally we're all, like we all sort of knew it, but it's getting to the point now where we're like, okay, that actually is enough now. That has to be enough. We have to give these players the serious support and opportunities that they've always deserved, but that for various different reasons they haven't been given in the past, because now we're at a point in the growth of women's football globally where we are looking like a joke. The more that we do this 
And the more that we do not address the structural deficiencies that they've had to deal with for such a long time, the more obvious it becomes to other leagues around the world, particularly with the Women's World Cup around the corner, that we are not taking women's football seriously. And that is going to be to our detriment over the next 10 years. And Sam, it's interesting. We're seeing this parallel discussion happening. It's a women's sport thing, right? We're seeing it in the AFLW as well. And these are two leagues, the um, the A-League women's and the AFLW, where there's talk of expansion, not talk of expansion is meant to be happening next season in both competitions. And it's interesting. There was a really good discussion actually on Channel 10 with Grace Gill and Chloe Legazzo, friend of the pod, Grace Gill, and... Um, I was right, Chloe Legazzo. Uh, two, you know, two fantastic, um, I think, ambassadors for the game who are also really good pundits. And they were talking about essentially extending the season to full home and away should be coming before expansion. No, I think we all agree on that. And the other factor is, um, and this is me, not, not them, um, surely professionalism has to come before expansion. This is a, a feeling I have with the AFLW as well is, why should we expand to create more precarious casual slash part-time jobs rather than build up the ones we've got into more secure, um, you know, rewarding, rewarding, I mean, financially and in terms of professionalism and yeah, secure and professional jobs rather than sort of, I guess, expanding the problem that we're already got and that we're already talking about. It's, yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. And it, it seems, I think the other thing that's frustrating is you look back on when I was going through some Melissa Barbieri stats the other week when it was, you know, 25 years, you look at that old story of her having to sell some of her playing memorabilia to fund playing for Adelaide United in, I think, 2013 off the top of my head. It's nearly 10 years ago. And we're still talking about, you mentioned it last week, Sam, Fiona Wirtz having to do the shifts at the drive-thru and Maccas to fund it. Players having, um, it's this guy and they're kind of going to steal the boot, aren't we? But like Georgia Boric having to step away from playing at Newcastle because of work commitments. We're still seeing this stuff happening. And friend of the pod, Joey Lynch, had a, had a great line about this in his column for The Guardian that, you know, Fiona Wirtz has to do all these things, but at least she can say she's an A-League women player, not a W-League player. And it's like... It's just it's just so frustrating that we're seeing these discussions come time and time again. But like you say, Sam, hopefully, I think maybe to the more and wider public, you can go, well, this this is it. This is what's behind the curtain. This is what's been ticking along the whole time. And more people, more and more people are recognising it and also going, yeah, actually, that's not OK. Like, if were we in any industry but sports, people will be going, no, she's getting paid, you know, full-time hours, do this full-time. But it's, we're still seeing all these things pop up. And, and, you know, credit to the players and staff who are doing their best to make it work and are showing up every game and are still doing some brilliant things on the field like we've highlighted in this pod. But it's hard to think that how can you expect it to be sustainable and how can we, you know, see these players reach their full potential and the game reach its full potential when we're lagging behind in something like this. But We've heard so much talk about wanting to make the formerly W League, I remember James Johnson saying this, and then A-League women, I remember figures of the APL saying this, a top five league in the world. Hey, how are we going to do it if we're still lagging behind on this and we're seeing these games played back to back to back and, and no recovery time and players getting injured and players being... And I know COVID has accelerated a lot of this because we've seen... Perth Glory have to hit the road or teams have to do these things on the fly or games postponed because a you know a pandemic virus has spread through a squad yeah they're unique challenges to the time we're in but if anything it has to make us take action right rather than sit on our hands and if anything COVID has just highlighted what was already there it has shone the spotlight on the, the fractures that were always beneath the surface. And that's probably the other silver lining to all of this is that it has accelerated the problems to the point where we cannot ignore them anymore. We cannot make excuses for them anymore. And the profile, the growing profile of the women's game in Australia also means that we are reaching a critical mass of people who are actually saying enough. And the, I, I sort of feel that, like I didn't feel that in previous seasons, even though we've addressed all the same issues, all the same problems, 
but this season, it, I think one of the sort of barometers that I've used is oftentimes social media and comments threads. Because in the past, you'd be like, yeah, but they're not bringing in enough revenue or they don't attract enough TV viewers and like finding all of these reasons why. But now you don't really hear those kinds of excuses anymore from random people. It's almost all encouraging. It's almost all, yes. They deserve this. They deserve these wider support systems. They deserve to be full-time athletes. They deserve all this sort of stuff because people are starting to see the impact that these larger structural problems have on the players and therefore on the product on the field. So that's, yeah. So that's just sort of like repeating the point, but yeah, speaking to, to what you were saying there, Harry, like it does, it, this feels different now this season, I think. And hopefully the APL and Football Australia, because they are the regulators of this competition as well, are going to make some serious decisions, some serious long-term decisions and some serious decisions that are informed by data and serious decisions that are informed by ambition. Because at the moment, it just seems like nobody has the imagination to, to really commit to what we all know that this thing can be and what it is already proven to be elsewhere in the world. So let's hope and cross all of our fingers and toes that you know the, these visionaries, as they would like to understand themselves to be, are actually as visionary as uh, as we all hope they are. I think it's, Sam, you are probably more equipped to say this, but I feel like there's a greater, maybe for want of a better word, literacy around this. There's no longer framed as, oh, no, no, the girls want equal pay as the men. They want to get paid like a quarter of a million dollars to play W League. No one watches it. No one cares. And it's no, I feel like that's in the margins now. I think most people understand that these players aren't, necessarily oh good on them if they can do a Sam Kerr or a Trinity Rodman and earn you know like big money for doing it but most most players just want to have the option and the ability to be full-time professionals and I, I think most people don't begrudge them that they say no they're doing the work um they're putting in the hours why shouldn't they be paid a full-time professional wage that allows them to do things to the best of their ability I think most people have come to understand that I feel like the narrative has shifted or the the literacy and the greater understanding of this conversation has really shifted from people having in their head and I don't know if it's because you have the the U.S. women's national team equal pay thing a lot of people associate professionalism with equal pay and yeah that's that's another discussion but this, at the bare minimum, has to be professionalisation, like professionalism, full the ability for these players to be full-time pros. So if they cop an injury, um, like Holly McNamara's, who I'm sure will be well-supported as a real Matilda's, well, not just a prospect, but a Matilda and at Melbourne City, who have been fantastic. But league-wide players should have this option and the chance to be full-time professionals. So... It's, it seems pretty straightforward. And I think most people are really on board with that now. And like you say, Sam, hopefully uh, people actually see that and stop looking at other sources of revenue and NFTs and shit like that for the game and talking about these things and focus on what they've really got right in front of them, which is a fantastic product that just needs investment. We're less than 18 months out from a Women's World Cup. Uh, not just Holly McNamara racing the clock, is it? Should we talk about Adelaide? <laughs> They're fun. Um, that own goal from Zoe McMeekin, not fun. Adelaide turning on the Jets, very fun. That's my thoughts on that. Does anyone else have any quick yeah. oh, Adelaide like, thoughts? They're great, aren't they? Like Wellington really tested them for a for a bit there and you could tell once that, you know, it was one all. Um, Grace Jale scored. It was a really fun game, I think, for the first half hour or so. And then Gemma Lewis sort of cited it. Zoe McMeekin hits this. Just she absolutely smashed this back pass um, past Brianna Edwards and into her own net. It was a real shocker. She's the, I think she's the youngest player in the Phoenix McMeekin, and it's a learning opportunity from a Wellington perspective. Gemma Lewis was very much like. Heads went down. I was pretty disappointed with the response because we should be able to pick ourselves up. And they didn't pick themselves up. Adelaide went on with it and were able to win 4-1. But once again, it's uh, Chelsea Dorber, Fiona Wirtz, and then obviously Dylan Holmes pulling the strings. You'd expect them to win this game and they had to do it 24 hours later than planned. But you're just seeing all the right things from Adelaide again. It makes you really excited to see. And they sort of hinted at it during the 
week that they didn't acquit themselves as well as they would have liked. I think it was Isabel Hodgson against Victory the first time when Victory basically thrashed them and they Fiona Wirtz missed a bunch of chances. It was before they'd signed Dylan Holmes. But coming to the pointy end of the season, surely they cannot Adelaide it. Like surely it's too hard to Adelaide it at this point in time. I mean, if you look at their draw, they play victory, then they play Sydney. So, and if you take into consideration who they're up against in terms of the ladder, they are only three points above Perth Glory. They're only two points above Melbourne Victory. So that's sort of, they could do it. I don't want to jinx it. it. They could. They actually could mathematically Adelaide it. I know. Surely surely goal difference will help as well here, you'd think. Um, Victory also have... They had the three games, obviously, compared to Adelaide's two. The game, games in hand have made this all a bit more complicated, but it's the old bird in hand is is better, and Adelaide have, have racked up. Yeah, and Izzy Hodgson said uh, this week as well that they know what it's like to miss out on a final spot due to goal difference, so they wanted to ensure that that doesn't happen again. And to their credit, uh, 12 goals in their last two games – that's, that's pretty good. That's that's planning ahead, I would say. That's keeping goal difference in mind. So, but like when I when I look at the top five and I think about any team who could be the potential dark horse and get to the grand final, I think of Adelaide because they have been in absolutely ripping form over the past mm. couple of weeks. If Chelsea Dorber's injury that she seemed to sustain against Wellington is okay, I think that they could possibly go all the way. And sorry, Angela looked very confused when I said a bird in the hand. Uh, Angela, it's a, ba- a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. It's like a proverb that means what you've already got is more valuable than what you might get. So in terms of that, it's like the wins that Adelaide have already picked up, the points you've already picked up are always more valuable than the ones you might pick up due to having games in hand because no points are guaranteed, especially in a, a league as chaotic as the dub. Why are they trying to – why in this – don't expression know. is someone I trying guess, to catch birds to eat I, yeah, I don't know you take it up with the proverb makers I didn't I thought that. you meant it was like bird in hand like it was an expression to talk about like game in hand or something it was that was why I was a little bit confused I, but anyway thank you I understand mm-hmm. now I think I'm still a bit concerned about why they're trying to catch the bird but anyway uh, it doesn't so matter, you, doesn't I, matter. You, you assume assume it's an eating related thing but you know Anyway, the point is Adelaide have banked some points already and I think just have to back themselves in to do it again, especially as we mentioned against a, a more fatigued Melbourne victory who they they were quite good against. Like they were good value against in that first game bar like sloppy defending, victory having pinpoint finishing um, and Fiona Wirtz hadn't found her radar yet. Um, but I think we forget just how like, poor her finishing was at the start of the season compared to now where she's pretty much drilling him uh it's yeah it's it's a totally different makeup and obviously that was the hush tones Kayla Morrison ACL game um so it's a very very two very different teams very different momentum lines now and yeah it's exciting and Sam it, it does feel like that with Adelaide it's like they could either Adelaide it or they could go all the way Adelaide v Sydney Adelaide um Sydney intrigues me pre-finals a lot <laughs> what a fun time anyway we've already basically done the boot integrated was, boot we love an integrated boot exception you we can't talk about it anymore i don't want to talk about it anymore we have spoken about it extensively we have written about it extensively angela i just i forgot to mention it earlier but I would love to see, you love to see it, some kind of place where we can, people can say we want better from the APL. I think Football Australia, we can, there's places to contact. It's the Danny A- Townsend's mentions. I know, I know it's Danny Townsend's mentions, but that does not, it's not good enough. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because um, I feel like so much of this season has produced, like you talked about social media, like there's, things that could be made into real punchy Insta graphics, you know. That's how I sort of measure how people are are tracking with these issues. If I see it come up on a lot of people's stories who might not necessarily be, like, in the weeds dub fans, that to me is like, okay, this is having an impact. But I'm like, it would be nice to 
feel like there's somewhere where you can be like, this is the season, what's your plan? We are fans and we are supporters and we've put money and time and energy into this competition in a variety of capacities. We want better. That's all. I like, it frustrates me that the APL seems to lack any sort of, Sam's brought it up many times before, any kind of communication channel um, to be able to basically put your vote out there in terms of what you want from the league. I understand those communication channels will get a lot of strange people in soccer. I understand that, but there's ways to do it, you know? Anyway, that's yeah. that's all. I mean, Football Australia this week announced um, like a, a forum type of thing for fans to provide feedback and to like give them ideas, right? So, but this is what's needed. This is what's needed for the league because now that they've unbundled from Football Australia, like the FA only has so much power in this space as the regulators, but ultimately it's the APL who makes a lot of these decisions. And this season they seem to have just made, just created like Fortress APL and they don't seem to have any sort of access channels to people outside of like the media who know the email address of the communications manager, you know, like they don't seem to have any open dialogue with the community and they're making decisions that are almost antithetical to the community and not just in the women's league either in the men's as well. So what would be really great is something that I noticed uh, Japan's WE league did last week, which was they held an online forum where they invited uh, spokespeople and and players from all different stakeholder groups. So that the the playing group, um, the league representatives, media, people who are part of the broadcasting team uh, and other sponsorship people all into the one meeting. And they talked about the issues. They laid them out. The players themselves had a lot of opportunities to lay out what they thought were their concerns. And they were all able to talk about it. They were all able to finally be on the same page and understand how to move forward together. It just doesn't seem like there's that collaboration at this level of the game anymore. It's the APL in their own little castle making these decisions, which, to be honest, internally, from what we understand, are not driven by women's football people. They're driven by men's football people. And it's getting to the point now where we're like, well, do you actually have the best interests of this of this league and these players at heart are you actually making informed decisions that are going that's going to actually benefit this community and and this sport because at the at the moment it's been a a a breezy stacy's new hat rebrand and that's it they haven't really done much else other than that so i think asking for accountability asking them for a clear plan a blueprint of what the next three to five years is going to look like for this competition, what their KPIs are going to be, because we're stakeholders too. We ought to have a say in the way that this goes. We are, as you said, Angela, we invest our time, our money, our energy, our passion, so much of ourselves into this competition and into these players as we have done over the years. And it just feels like we have been left in the dust and that people have taken this thing that we have grown together as a community and have decided to do other things with it. And that seems, it's just deeply unfair. It's really frustrating. And it's, you know, for a, a, a govern, new governing body in the APL who claimed that transparency and communication were going to be some of their highest priorities. I've seen very little of that. Sorry, that was just like another little boot. Yeah, little, another little kick. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> But it needs to be said. I'm just now filled with rage about everything. So anyway, let's move on to some happier content, some happier topics, because I think we all need the mood boost after that. So let's turn our attention to some how goods. So Angela, do you want to start us off with, you've got a couple of how goods, I believe. I do, but they're, they're tied together. It's a theme. It's just wholesome supporters at the dub this week. It was real cute. So um, also just while we're on the boots, I want to boot that. What's that the thing that goes around Amy Park? Blimp. The blimp. The blimp. I do not like the blimp. I, who was responsible for the blimp? I hadn't seen the blimp in a while and it came out at halftime at the victory. Unnamed sponsor. We won't name because they're not sponsoring us. Yes. Also, that sponsor, electricity company, called me Angela Christian Yikes and couldn't change it. I called 
four times and was like, my name is not Christian Yikes. And they are no longer my electricity <laughs> provider. So A, I don't like the blimp because the blimp is chaotic. I'm scared it's going to hit me. I don't understand it. Why is it there? It nearly hit the little kick around kids this weekend. It had to do like a big trick. So we didn't injure a child or many children. Anyway, and the second of all, yes, because of the sponsor on the side of the blimp. Don't like it. Anyway, positive things, positive things, positivity, wholesome dub supporters. That's where I was. Um, so yes, uh, at the, the victory Perth game, Marissa, I know you're a big fan of this. Kim Carroll's niece. She loved the blimp. I mean, if, if it makes her happy, whatever, maybe we can keep the blimp, but, um, she was real cute. Uh, by the white line has some absolutely adorable photos of Kim Carroll with her niece after the game. Oh my goodness. So cute. Um, at that game as well, Alana Janchevsky's family were up in one corner, very loud, very vocal, very cute. Um, I think, believe she is from Victoria. So it was like nice little homecoming for her. Um, and then also the city game that weekend, there was Melissa Barberry had a very vocal fan who was just very, very good value. Um, what was it he yelled? Yeah. He yelled out, Channel 10, you suck at one point, but he was also equally just very, uh, I don't know, it was sort of like a, who was, I didn't know if he was just like a really big fan, but after the game, she just ran straight over to him and gave him a big hug and it was real cute. Um, and he, yeah, he was a big thumbs up to whoever that guy was. Um, he was, made my day. Um, so yeah, the, just wholesome dub fans. I really love it. It just makes makes me so happy when I see people getting around their friends and family. Anyway, that's all. How good? It was a huge how good. And just for context, so this guy yelled out, Channel 10, you suck, when they went to a drinks break, which if you follow the A-Leagues, plural, you know is a big topic of conversation at the moment. So it was very, very funny um, for Angela and I sitting at Amy Park just listening to this man bellow out that statement. So absolutely loved it. Anyway, Sam, what was your how good? Speaking of wholesome supporters, there was a really fantastic moment uh, overseas. It was the return of Rebecca Stott to international duty with the Football Ferns. She came back from Hodgkin's lymphoma, not only to make her return to the league, but also to make her return to New Zealand women's national team. And she got on the park uh, against Iceland at the She Believes Cup. Uh, at 73rd minute, it was an amazing moment for so many people involved in her life. And there was a really lovely shot of a kid in the stands holding up a sign saying, go Stoddy and thanks for helping me beat Hodgkins. And, you know, as we all know, Stoddy has started up Beat It by Stoddy, her foundation. She's been supporting kids with Hodgkins lymphoma through raffling off t-shirts and designing bags and all this sort of amazing stuff and it's just it's the most incredible story of resilience and perseverance and passion and dedication to football but also dedication to what she seems to have arrived at which is I guess her larger purpose outside of just football so it was really lovely to see all of that sort of fold into this one moment of her running back out into the field against Iceland and seeing that little kid who she got photos with at the end as well and has made uh, has made a really good connection with so Rebecca Stott returning to football phones how good the best um Harrow how good yeah, I've got a double up of, I'm going to call it Nick's Nuffery, which is a bit of Nuffcraft from the Wellington Phoenix girls. Um, first up, to touch on, we talked about it last week, I think, the the whole saga of Phoenix not being able to have a reserve goalkeeper. And obviously, first up, we saw their game against Adelaide um, postponed because of hail. Weather in New South Wales doing the thing, as per. Um, it's just a little one for Sam there to finish the pot on the high. Um but Charlotte Lancaster was the nominated reserve goalkeeper. And uh, this tweet is by a friend of the pod, Phil Rollo, that Gemma Lewis, after that game was postponed, said that um, Lancaster warmed up with Brianna Edwards. Obviously, goalkeeper warm-up. Not so taxing, but maybe a bit more fun than the regular outfielder warm-up. And she said, if we play tomorrow, can I do it again? 
And then um, she did. She sat on the bench. And then in that game, um, there was a moment where Edwards, she went for a diving save and then sort of cramped up. And for a moment there, you could see Lancaster just grinning on the sidelines. Being like, everyone else was like, oh, no, is it going to happen? Oh, no. Like, you, truly, Gemma Lewis a bit, was like, oh, no, is it going to happen? Charlotte Lancaster, is it going to happen? Am I going to get to do this? Like, clearly just, like, a little bit starstruck at maybe. She didn't get to. It was just cramp. Um, so a bit of a relief, I think, for the, for the rest of the Knicks. Um, part two of Knicks Nuffery was when this game um, was postponed. Both the Adelaide and Wellington players were just making a real time of it. Like, at one point, I think it was Kate Taylor was do, trying to make hail angels on the pitch. And they were just dancing around, nothing about, having a great time. And, hey, you know what? Good on them. And, and now the Wellington players get to have a nice um, nice long break. They've not really get, got to have one. They've been um, effectively in a bubble all season. Um, so Gemma Lewis is pretty wrapped. I think it was a nine-day break between games. They get to rest. They get to recover. They get to sort of chill out and don't know what, what, what they're going to do, but good for them. Um, and they get, to, <laughs> they get to relax a bit before they finish off the season. So, yeah, Wellington Phoenix getting to enough about in New South Wales good for them and how good it was very good very very funny uh uh, just a quick how good from me it's a big congratulations to friend of the pod Gabby Garton on the birth of her baby boy I feel like we we really are kind of births and marriages occasionally on this pod we did Teresa Polias not too long ago but obviously awesome news for Gabby and her husband can't wait to see her back on the pitch as well so a very big how good there but that's us done for today thank you so much for tuning in we will be back next week as we always are to talk all the a-league women's football remember you can find us on espn.com.au and the espn app we are on spotify apple and google everywhere you get your podcasts you can leave a review or subscribe wherever you do listen if you like what we're doing if you want to have a chat to us we're at the far post pod on all social media but until next time see us <laughs>